0: Excited that you're all with us on this uh, this kind of gloomy day in in, uh, in October, but it's a good day, you know, Cardinal baseball, and uh, I'm excited. We've got to pray for him, but uh, no. Anyway, I'm excited to be here. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're really happy that you're with us. Our hope is, is that uh, you enjoy your experience today, that you feel welcome here, and uh, most importantly, though, that you get a sense of the love and presence of God in this place, and That you can walk out of here different than when you came in. We don't want to just be another thing on people's list of things to do. And this life-giving nature in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're just happy that you're with us. In fact, we are in the second week of a sermon series entitled Four Cups. In which we've been talking about uh, the vision of our church in relationship to uh, this passage of scripture. In Exodus chapter 6 verses 6 through 7. And talking about four cups that represent four core promises that God made to the Israelite people, but they also are extended to us today. And if you're uh, kind of not understanding what uh, the significance of the cups is, we talked about it last week, but I want to go ahead and just give a, a quick uh, overview of that. Is that. How many of you are familiar with the Passover celebration? Uh, it's done to this day by the Jewish people, and they get it uh, primarily directly from this passage of Scripture. And they celebrate how God rescued them out of slavery from the nation of Egypt. And uh, the four cups uh, of Passover is a a thing that they do when they celebrate the meal. It's called a Seder, which just means order. And the four cups are this. They have a cup of uh, sanctification. uh, They have a cup of um, deliverance, a cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. And they drink four cups of wine to symbolize all of that. And uh, that's what we're talking about um, as a vision of our church. We want to see people saved, delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. And we want to see help every person as they walk through our doors, help them move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And uh, so today, we're spending time on the the first cup, the first promise that God has for us, which is salvation. And that promise extends to every single person. And I want to say this just at the beginning, that this first cup, this first promise, is the most important promise in the entire Bible. There is nothing greater than salvation. In fact, the other three cups, that are three promises, would not exist if there were not this, salvation. Salvation, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not simply an introductory course into Christianity. It's not just something that we sign off on, something that we uh, do just to gain access. It is everything. It's as if if you've been to college or uh, any type of education, you know those introductory courses that you take and you just take them to get to the, the good stuff. But this would be the entry level, the bachelor's level, the master's level, the PhD level. And if they ever come out with anything greater to charge us for, it would be that too, because it is everything. The, old, the New Testament is simply Jesus revealed. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. And uh, Jesus is the whole purpose of everything that we do. And uh, so that's why we're kicking it off with this, with the understanding it is the greatest. So let's go to Exodus chapter 6 and um, verses 6 and 7. So you can turn there if you brought your Bible or your, your iPad, iPhone, whatever, Android, whatever you use is cool. If you don't have any of that, we got it on the screens right behind me. And just a little quick history, if you missed uh, last week, what we have in this passage is the children of Israel have been in uh, slavery to Egypt for 430 years. They've been slave, They've basically been a huge labor force. Their life has not been great. And uh, they've cried out, prayed to God, please rescue us from this slavery. Please deliver us from this, this life that we're living. And God has answered their prayers. He's chosen a man named Moses to lead them out. And God is having a conversation with this man named Moses, and he's telling him, this is what I'm going to do for my people. And he makes four promises to them. Let's read it. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The first statement we'll be focusing on today is, I will bring you out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for every person that's here with us this morning. And Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus, for he is the greatest um, of anything. In fact, he is all that we need. And we just ask you this morning to open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive from you. This morning, the message that you have for us, and that uh, we can walk out of here different than when we came in. Help me to speak it clearly and quickly, and in your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have, um, have ever lost anything before? Maybe, maybe you lost your kid somewhere, um, or just lost something of, of value an importance, or maybe you yourself have been lost. How many of you have been lost in an un, uh, unknown area? I, I got lost one time in another country. Um, it was brief, but it was scary. Uh, not knowing where you're at, and uh, thankfully I spoke a little bit of the language which helped, but when you lose something of value, it's like time stops and nothing else matters except for that thing that you lost, especially if it's a human being, because that's big time. But you know, I was in Guatemala a few years ago, and we were, uh, there was a guy with us, and we were getting ready to leave, we'd, leave. we'd been there a week, and uh, we were getting on the bus to take a three, four hour trip back to Guatemala City to fly out, and uh The last thing you check to make sure you have before you leave is what? Passport. Yeah, so this guy couldn't find his passport. And um, that's big time. And he'd been on many trips. And he said, I've never, ever lost my passport before. And he unpacked his bag and repacked his bag and tore up his hotel room and looked everywhere. And we're all like, man, that's really sad. But we're not staying. We're going home. (laughs) Yeah, we'll pray for you, brother. Jesus, help him find his passport as we're getting on the bus. But, he, I mean, everything stopped. And, you know, what became more important to him than anything was that passport. He didn't care about his, his clothes. He didn't care about his tools. He didn't care about how much money he had. The only thing he cared about was that little blue booklet that said he was an American citizen and would grant him access back into the country to see his family because that was the only thing that mattered. Whenever you lose something that is very important, the only thing that matters is finding it. And if you've lost um, a child, I've not done that. I've, I've, I've been close to it and it scared me enough to know that I never wanted to have to even go through that. Like I'm talking about in the store. You know, you'll do, everything stops. And you'll 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 move hell, uh, heaven and earth to, uh, to get to that thing that you've lost. And what I wanted to, yeah, I messed up. I almost, I almost said hell versus heaven, but I'm sorry. Wasn't intentional. What I wanted to talk about this morning about how, God, I don't know if I recover. Uh, <laughs> how, much, how much God is in the business of finding those who are lost? You know, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve did what they did and they sinned, uh, humanity was separated from God. Not that God couldn't see them, not that God couldn't love them anymore, but sin created this chasm. And, uh, and we're, once that happened, we became what the Bible called lost. We were lost. And in that moment, God set in a plan To redeem all of us, to redeem humanity, to close that gap, to restore relationship. In a sense, he began to seek that which was lost. In fact, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 19, he says this, I think it's verse 10. He says, For the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came to seek and save those who are lost. And then Paul, writing to Timothy, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. And Paul tells him this in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, verses 15 and 16. He says this. He said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. But God, anytime you see but God in Scripture, you want to pay attention. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. God is in the business of finding those who are lost. The whole purpose for Jesus to come to this earth was to seek and save those who were lost, to seek and save all of us, humanity, to seek and save. That's why he came. And I want to take a look at Luke chapter 15. There are three parables. And you say, what's a parable? A parable is simply a story that Jesus told to communicate and illuminate a truth about himself and the Father. And he told it in story form. I like stories because I understand things better through a story. And so I want to read three stories. And all of these stories in the Bible, this chapter, are subtitled like this. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The last one is more famously known as the prodigal son. I want to take a look at these because I want uh, us to begin to understand as a church how we partake of this cup of salvation and as individuals. What do we do corporately and what do we do individually? And I believe that these three stories can help us get a little clearer picture into that. So come with me to Luke chapter 15, and we'll start reading in verse 1. It said "...the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach." This made the Pharisees, or the really religious people, mad. And they made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So basically, they got mad because Jesus was doing what he came to do. So Jesus told the story to them. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't even strayed away. So what we have is this picture of a shepherd. And and through all of these stories that we're going to read, what you'll quickly begin to see is that the shepherd in this story, you know, the woman in the next story, and the father in the third story, they're all a representation of God the Father. And what he will do for us. So in this story we have a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them has run away. And this shepherd decides that the best decision to make is to go leave the ninety-nine and go after the one. I don't know about you, but if I've got a hundred of anything and I lose one, I'm like, I'm still doing pretty good because i got ninety-nine percent. And ninety-nine percent is better than one percent. But what we have here is a, is a shepherd who has a whole flock of sheep. Ninety-nine that are good. They're all together. But one of them has run away. We don't know if he just simply got separated or he himself may have just run away completely because he no longer wanted to be with the rest. But whatever it is, we have a picture of this shepherd leaving 99 perfectly good sheep to go get one sheep that ran away. And I think what that communicates to us as a church is this, is that sometimes, especially today, I think we've developed a mindset where, okay, we're all here, we're good, us four and no more, we'll leave the one out there because we got so many in here. We've become, I don't know if the word is comfortable or complacent in the idea that we've got enough. We've got enough. There are enough of us here. And whatever enough is, I don't know. It's an arbitrary number, but there's enough. Like, we've lost this um, desire and this, uh, this intensely, I don't know how to really say it, this intense um, passion to, to know and understand that there are more lost people. There, are, there is one out there, and there are a lot of ones. But we have a God who says, yeah, I see. There are 99, but there's one, and I'm going after the one. I'm going after the one. Not that I devalue and don't appreciate all of the people that are here, but one is important to me, and it's lost, and I'm going to save it. That, those of you who have lost something, and maybe uh, a lady told me after first service one time, she's a teacher, she had a, a group of 70 students on a field trip, and she got on the bus, and she counted, and there was 69. There was one less, so she counted again. She was down one child. She said, I got off the bus, I shut the doors, I said, stay in here, don't go out. I'm going to get the one. That's what God does. He seeks after the one. He doesn't ever say, "Well, I got 99%, I'm doing good. I'll let them stay out there." No, he goes after the one. People are significant to God. Every person. This core promise of salvation. The word was is used, I said sanctification, which literally means to be set apart. And in Jesus Christ, we are fully 100% set apart from the penalty of sin. And it's paid for. He set us apart. He's like, all right, good, I got 99. I'm going to go get the one because the one is important. And then what's even crazier is, is that the shepherd gets the sheep, brings it back in the fold, and here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't tie a rope around the sheep's neck, you know, get mad at it, and then walk back to the fold, dragging the sheep by its neck to the fold. No, he picks the sheep up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it back to the flock and sets it down, and then calls his other shepherd buddies, and they have a party over one sheep who ran away. That doesn't make much sense to me, but that's who God is. He rejoices, and in fact, not just him, but all of heaven rejoices when just one person says, I choose to believe in Jesus. All of heaven rejoices over one, and then Jesus takes it a step further, and he says, okay, now imagine this, Or he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. And in some of the study I found, one of the guys said, he he tallied it up and said, the value of 10 silver coins then was about $1.76. Not a piece, but in whole. So one coin, if we took a tenth, is like 17 cents. So this lazy lady has 10 silver coins, loses one, and this is what she does. She says, won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God, angels when even one sinner repents. So here we have this lady. Very, very insignificant amount of money. How many of you, when you drop a penny, everything stops and you go to do everything you can to find it? Not many. My son, yes. Me, no. It's got to be at least a quarter. Right? This lady has a very small coin. She turns the light on her house, she sweeps the whole house, and she searches carefully until she finds it. We have a picture here again of God saying, even that which is seemingly so insignificant is important to me, and I'll do everything in my power. I'll turn the lights on, I'll sweep the whole house. I will search carefully to find that which is lost. And what I love here is is that Jesus is making a statement that you and I have no business on trying to place a value on people. So many times I think what happens is is someone comes into, maybe not our church, wherever it may be, let's just say, use a church because we're, we're in one right now, and they come in and maybe it's a good-looking family, and you can say, wow, you know, they, they, they dress real nice, and I saw them get out of their car, it was good, and they look like they're living a good life, and I would love for them to be a part of my church, and this is... My thought process at times. Man, they would be so great. And then another person comes in the door and they don't look like they're dressed right. They don't look like they, they really take care of themselves. And they don't really look like they can make a contribution to the church at all. In fact, they look like they're going to be more trouble than they are good. And what happens is, is that we, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, we direct more energy and time and effort over here because we're going to get a better return on our investment on that. And on this, we have no idea what we're going to get. So, yeah... And that's what we do. Why? Because we live in a culture that is all about getting a return on our investment. Right? I mean, we'll drive five miles out of the way to save two cents on a gallon of gas. And then we justify it somehow. Right? Because we want a return on our investment. And there's some wisdom in that. But when it comes to people, and we're talking about eternity here, we cannot judge people by the way that they dress and the way that they look. I mean, we do, and we'll never fully get away from that. But when it comes to people's eternity... God values people in the same way and God will go out of his way to seek and save a person regardless of what they look like regardless of what their job is like even regardless of how they're living their life in the current moment because lost people are lost regardless whether you're good lost or that person's way bad lost however we categorize it lost is lost you know what I mean you could be lost in Walmart, or you could be lost in the middle of Guatemala, but when it comes to the end of the day, you're lost and you need help. And that sense of lostness is, as someone else told me in the fir- after the first service, said, that's how I knew that I needed something is because I felt so lost. I had nowhere to turn. I knew where I was physically. I knew all that, but deep down inside, I was, I was, I was lost. And especially when we live in a society where we... we we do that with people. We tend to value them and devalue them, and it's crazy. It's hard, you know what I mean? We, we, all of us experience that we're we're doing something, uh, you know, to try to increase our value in some way, shape, or form in the eyes of people, and it's exhausting. Here's a picture of God that says seventeen point six cents, and obviously we understand the story is important to me, and I just want us to be a church that values the one so much that we'd turn the light on, we'd sweep the floor, and we'd search carefully in our city, and our country, and our world to reach the one. I spent the past few days, you know, I used to work for Joyce Meyer Ministries, and I, a part of that job was to travel around and do the conferences, and when I came on full-time here, I stopped doing that, but every once in a while, they'd give me a call and say, hey, we need somebody. In this case, a buddy of mine was having a baby. They said, hey, his wife was hey will you come out so yeah so i went to new york and did some work and in three days there were 1700 people that got saved man that is awesome you know but you know what 1700 is no greater than one because 1700 people are comprised of 1700 different individuals whom god values so much and you know, as a pastor, me, I want my, my heart is to see this place filled up, not just so it makes me feel better, but just so I'll be like, wow, God, you're doing something. And if I'm not careful, I get to the point where I say success will be determined by the number of people in the seats versus it being determined by what God is doing on the inside of people. Now, I believe that when God starts to do something, it's attractive and people come to it. I believe that. But I can't get in the game where I'm, I'm judging the success of this church or the success of a service by the number of people that are in the seats and by the number of hands that go up. Because one person is important. And I feel like I have to answer that question on a weekly basis. Josh, if it's just one, is it important? If it's just one, would you still do it? And I feel like God speak to me the other day and say, I didn't call you to preach to a specific number of people. I called you to preach my word. Why don't you preach my word, and you let me take care of people in numbers? And that that really spoke to me, because we are visual people, right? We want to see it. But here we go. One. One. And then we get to the last part, the prodigal son, or as this particular translation calls it, the lost son. You know, there were no subtitles in the original versions of the bible that's something that we had we added which is not bad i'm not saying it's wrong but i think that they missed they should have they should have titled them a different way because the primary focus of these stories is not the lost sheep the lost coin and the lost son it's the good shepherd it's the woman and it's the father this is really a story about the heart of the father the heart of god that's the main focus here. And so I want to read this story. And as I read this story, I know a lot of you have probably heard it. And as I read it, you're probably just going to check out because that's what I would do. If I know something, I'm like, yeah, I'll wait till he gets to the end and listen to him talk again. But as I read it, I just want you to listen. And sometimes w- when you listen to a story that you don't have pictures for, it's kind of neat to close your eyes. And I want you to listen to this story, listening for the perspective of the father and not so much on the details of the son that we're so familiar with. So let's read it. To illustrate the point further, Jesus says, A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Even at home the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion he ran to see his son and embraced him and kissed him his son said to him father i have sinned against both heaven and you and i am no longer to be worthy uh, i am no longer worthy of being called your son but his father said to the servants quick bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life he was lost and now was found so the party began you see when the son came to the father and culturally as jesus told this story it was to jewish people they would have picked up on some things that just go right over our head because we don't get it so the son going to his father and saying hey I want my inheritance now. was basically like saying to the father, you're dead to me. I don't want to be your son anymore. Give me what's mine and I'm going. Basically saying, you're not my dad anymore. So the father did that and he went off. And he, you know, did some things he wasn't supposed to do, but he found himself in a pig pen, which to Jewish people is a big time no-no. In fact, it's against their religion. That's like the dirtiest of the dirty to be with pigs. And he's not only with them, but he's feeding them and eating the same food that they're eating. I mean, this is the depths of despair. And then he begins to formulate a speech that he's going to give his father when he comes home. God, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll just be your servant, bada bada ba. And so he makes his way home. And then then is where the story takes a dynamic turn, and we begin to see the Father and his 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 response to his son. And I don't know about you, but if it were me and I was the son, I would have been expecting judgment. I would know there were some serious consequences to pay for what I did to my father. And that's why he says he didn't feel worthy and he's going to be a servant and all that stuff. I would be expecting the worst of the worst of the worst. But the Bible says that his father, and who we know as God, was standing there and he saw him from afar off. You know, if you're not looking for something, you won't see it. It wasn't like the father was just about his business and looked up and saw his son. Oh, good, he's coming home. No, he, he was standing there day after day, after day, looking and waiting for his son to come home. Waiting for him. And then the story gets real crazy because it says that he ran to embrace him. And in that culture, in that day, a man of his stature who, and this guy obviously had some stuff, had some, had an estate, you know, had, had some money, ran. A man would not do that in that culture because it was so unbecoming of him. It would have basically said, you know, it would be like seeing someone in a, you know, Armani suit, go out and just with reckless abandon run and be like disrespecting the clothing that's on their body. I mean, for this guy, this was, it was a statement, a big time statement, ran to greet the son who had completely rejected him and went away from him and if the band could return. And he gets to the son, and the son begins his speech that he's prepared. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and blah blah blah. Did you ever notice that the Bible never gives us any indication that the father even acknowledges the speech that his son gave? The son's giving this big long speech, and we don't get we don't get the father saying, "You're right, you're horrible. You're right, you did that. You're right, you're not worthy to be my son. Yes, you'll be a servant. No, it says this." The moment that he gets done saying worthy of being called your son he says but the father but his father said to the servants quick bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger sandals for his feet kill the fatted calf we're going to have a big time party. And those things each of those things are significant in that culture basically what the father was saying is I'm reinstating you as my son. I'm giving you the family ring the family robe I'm putting sandals on your feet you are my son. And What's so amazing about this is, is that I think that we all can connect with this son in the fact that we deal with some level of, being, of feeling unworthy, right? We take a look at our life and we begin to take, a, take an account of, of, of everything that we've ever done and we make a list of it and we say, there is no possible way that, the, that God could ever love me, that he would ever do anything for me because I've done all these things wrong, all these things what could I ever do? And for some of us, it keeps us from never, ever going back home to the Father. Didn't keep this son. This son knew enough that I'll at least be a servant, so I'm going to go back. But we all struggle with that, this, this thing of worthiness. And I just want to make a statement here to you this morning. That son was never a son by worth. He was a son by birth. Carson is my son, Lauren and I's son. He's three years old. Guess what? He's never done anything to say, for me to say, or Lauren and I to say, okay, now, Carson, you are our son. You did this and you did that, so you're our son. And when you do those other things, you're not our son. He's a son by birth. The moment that he came into this world, he was my son. In fact, the moment that he was conceived, he was my son. He is a son by birth. And in the kingdom of God, we are not sons and daughters by worth. We are sons and daughters by birth. Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, you must, you must be born again. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. You see, none of us in here were born into the family of God. We're all born as sinners. The Bible says this, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, every single person. We've all done it. None of us are just born into the family of God, not because God is mean, not because God is hateful, but because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It separated humanity. We're all born into that. I sure wasn't born into the family of God on my physical birth. I am today because I've received the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. So no one in here can say that you're good enough And God doesn't want you to say you're good enough. For the moment that you say, I'm good enough for God, I've done all these things and God has to accept me, you're trying to become worthy of being a son and daughter. But again, it's not by worth, it's by birth. We will never do anything good enough to qualify for it. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. The word grace literally means unmerited, unearned favor that God gave to us in Jesus Christ. Unmerited, what does it mean? You never did anything to get it. Nothing qualified. you unearned. You can't earn it. Like, even if I do this amount of good things, even if you do more good things than the goodest person that you know. I know that's not proper grammar. You can't do anything good enough. It's all about being born again. It's because Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, took the penalty and the punishment for sin and then he gave us this gift of salvation this cup of which we can drink from at any time and you say, but yeah Josh, you don't know my life, you're right, I don't know your life but I know my own and I know that I don't don't qualify for it I know that I'm not good enough I know that if you knew some of the things that I struggle with mentally and And emotionally, in the deep, dark recesses of my heart, you'd probably say, why in the world is that guy up there speaking? But I also know that you would reveal some of that in your own life. We all have that, right? We've all got something. We've all got something. And I'm just so thankful that God didn't say you have to be good enough. Because I wouldn't have made it. This happened to me first service, too. (laughs) I just want you to know this, is that God loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And he loves you so much that he's not willing to leave you where you're at currently. He wants to take you from where you are right in this moment today to where he wants you to be. And that's what he did for all of humanity. See, we screwed it up. We are his creation. We screwed up. We were all that lost son. Basically, what Adam and Eve did is this God, we don't need you anymore. We don't want you. And that impacted all of humanity. And instead of God responding like we would expect him to respond, to turn his back on humanity and say, get out of here. I'm going to start over. He became the shepherd and went out to the 99. And you'll notice that, like I said, that shepherd picked that lamb up on his shoulders and carried it back made a part of the flock. He carried us back. He, he turned the light on. He, he swept the floors, got rid of everything that's dirty. And then he searched carefully and when he found it, he picked it up and he had a party and he rejoiced. And then like that father, the father didn't know where his son was. I believe if the father knew where his son was, he would have found him. How many of you in here with a child, if you knew your child was in, was in need and needed help and you knew they were where they were you would do everything possible you would move heaven and earth to get to where they were at to help them and if you didn't know where they were at you'd still do everything you could and you would be waiting day after day after day the father knew his son one day would return and so he was watching day after day after day and in the same way I believe that God is looking across the vast horizon of all of humanity and he's got his eyes peeled and the moment that he sees one he takes off running The moment he sees one, he takes off running and we come with our stories. Yeah, but God, you know, yesterday I did this and three years ago I did this and I'm really just not worthy and if you would just maybe, I don't know, God, I don't deserve it. And God is listening, but he's more concerned with what he's gonna do and he brings out the robe and he brings out the ring and he brings out the sandals and he throws a party because the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over one. I wanna be a church that rejoices over one. I want to be a church that is far more concerned with the people out there who don't know Jesus than we are with ourselves. Because here's the thing. If we don't have the first promise, we don't get any of the rest. Because the first promise is the promise of salvation. It's the reason why we exist. It's the reason that we can sit here this morning and we can be aware of all the bad things that we've done, but we know that we have forgiveness, 100% forgiveness in Christ. And you say, that sounds too good to be true. You're right, it does sound too good to be true, but it isn't. And it's not cheap and it's not easy. It cost a very, very high price and that was the price of Jesus Christ. And so you say this morning, well, how do I as an individual partake of this, this promise? I'm gonna give you three steps and then we're gonna shut this thing down. First one is called, repentance and you say "Ooh, that sounds like a strong word i don't know if i like that you know it's taken on somewhat of a negative connotation but here's what the word really means it literally means to change your mind but it also means to change direction you're headed in one direction doing your own thing and something stops you in your tracks and you turn and you go another direction You say, what is that thing that would stop me in my tracks? Well, for the son in the story, it was the realization that doing things his own way got him in the worst place possible, eating the same food as pigs. In that moment, the moment he decided to go home, there was a change of mind and a change of heart. That's repentance. You stop and you turn. You say, "I I can't do it this way because everything I try to do on my own always results in the same thing. It's worse. Me... I, for many years, struggled with pornography. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried to do it on my own to quit, and I just could not quit. It was horrible. I couldn't get free from it. And it wasn't until I said, you know what, God? I don't want to do this anymore. I give it to you. That's the next step, surrendering. So you're headed that way, you turn, and you surrender, and you say, you know what, God, I just, I I give it to you. I surrender this piece of my life to you. And if you never made the decision to believe in Jesus, it's not just a piece of your life, it's your whole life. And you realize that everything that God asks you to do, every path that he sends you down, although it may be difficult, it's for your best. It's for your good, because he's setting you free, and he's delivering you. And he knows that if you try to do it on your own, you're not going to get anywhere. See, he, all the punishment, all the judgment, all the anger, all that was poured out on Jesus so God can deal with us from a place of compassion and love and say all of that was paid for. There may be some physical consequences in your life you've got to deal with, but eternity, it's taken care for in Jesus. So you say, you know what, God? I not only turn from what I'm doing, I, I just give you my life. What leads us here is commit your life. Commit it 100%. Jesus first is your savior and then he becomes your Lord. What do you mean by Lord? That sounds kind of crazy. It means this. He does help direct every decision. He helps direct you in your daily conversations. He just helps direct you in your life and you, you, you're, surrendering, you're surrendering yourself to him. And I guarantee you this. If you surrender completely to him, your life will be better than you ever ever thought it would be. I'm not saying that all of a sudden he's going to rain money in your bank account. All of a sudden your house is going to get bigger. I'm not saying all that stuff. What I'm saying is the inner part of who you are is going to begin to prosper. God will always prosper you from the inside out. He'll never prosper you from the outside in. He's more concerned with you on the inside, your heart, your soul. Those of you that are here this morning and you feel lost, you feel lost, number one, because you never made the decision to respond to the message of Jesus. Number two, you can be saved, but still feel lost. Why? Because you're focusing on you. We need something greater than ourselves. Somebody to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that's Jesus. What I want to do this morning is I just want to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask the first question is this. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Josh, I have never really made the decision to believe in Jesus, but I'd like to. Or I did it one time but I'd like just to do it again. I feel like I need to recommit. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I feel like the lost sheep, the lost coin or the lost son and I want somebody to come and find me. Well, today is your day to be found and I wanna ask you just to shoot up your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to come from the front, but I just wanna pray for you. If you're here this morning, shoot up your hand. Shoot up your hand, okay. Number two, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I believe I'm good in that area, but I've got something in my life that I need to turn from, to surrender to you and fully commit to you so you can deliver me from. If that's you here this morning, I'd like for you to raise your hand. And I know that even if you don't raise your hand, everybody's got something because my hand's up. they need prayer for it. And I want to take an opportunity to pray for you. For as long as we live, there's going to be stuff that attempts to dominate our lives. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now. I believe there's people in this room that maybe wanted to raise their hand and didn't for the first question, so I just want to say a prayer. God, I thank you for every person that's in this room and with an earshot of this prayer. Holy Spirit, any person here this morning that has never made a decision to follow you, and yet they feel lost, God, I ask you right now just to begin to speak to their heart and let them know that you are in the business of seeking and saving those who are lost. That there is a faithful saying that deserves full acceptance that Jesus Christ came in this world to save sinners. And that's what you're doing right now. Change their life. Become their Savior. Become their Lord. And the next one, anybody that shot up their hand or didn't, God, say that there's stuff in their life that just need help from, help with. God, I ask you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit to begin to set people free. May addictions be broken off. May bondages be broken off. God, may relationships be restored. God, may your freedom just enter their life and your presence fill this place and fill their life and they begin to prosper from the inside out. Father, we thank you for who you are and everything that we've done. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus.